All right, you guys turn to 2 Corinthians. Uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'll uh, give you an overview of what we're going to talk about tonight. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for bringing us here. Thank you for uh, the beginning of a, of a new book to study. And I pray that you would bless all the time that we spend in this book, however long it takes to, to work through this book, to think about it carefully, um, to, to plumb the depths as much as we can. And Father, we, we depend on You to open up Your Word to us, that, that the understanding of Your Word comes through Your Spirit. And so we, we are asking You for help. Uh, we need You to understand Your Word, so please... Uh, look down on us and smile upon us and, and give us the grace and the mercy to understand your word. I love you, Father. Ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so last week, Scott did uh, an overview of the book, and uh, I was going to start the book, but I've been reading it over and over again, just like Scott has, probably reading it once a day. And I don't feel ready yet to just attack uh, the first chapter because there's one thing that has really struck me that I think we need to really understand before we start just looking at particular verses and passages of Scripture. And that is the change in tone from 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians. There is a huge change in tone. It's the same writer, and he's writing to the same people, but he's communicating to them in a very different way. And if you, if you were there with us through all 1 Corinthians, we, we did talk about tone once, and the tone that, that Paul has during 1 Corinthians is a little aggressive, a little upset, uh, pretty stern, and he's kind of going through this list of all their sins and how dumb they're being. And he's just, he's just kind of giving it to them. Uh, and so if you guys have ever gotten a really firm lecture, and the book's really long, too, as far as books of the Bible go. Uh, has anyone ever been, been given a really long lecture by their parents? Not like yelling, but like they're upset with you and they're going to talk about it. For, 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 for quite a minute. Who's, who's gotten that long lecture? And, it's like, and you're just sitting there, and it's just like, it's just, just washing over you for a long time, and you're like, they're saying kind of the same thing over and over again. You know? And that's, that's kind of what the tone is for 1 Corinthians, is Paul is upset. They have sinned. They, they are causing divisions. Um, they, they're in sexual sin, uh, all sorts of problems. And so the tone of that book is one of, of anger, of, of, of a righteous anger, but of a parent really chastising his children. Now, there's another tone of parents chastising their children, and you guys will have hopefully realized this by now. Hopefully you guys are not rebellious children. Um, I'll give you guys two examples, right? So if your parent tells you to do something and you respond with sass, is their response 
the same level of anger, a higher level of anger, or a lower level of anger? It's, it's higher, isn't it? Like when, if, if your parents tell you something and you respond with sass, you just cranked up their anger, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? Yes? No? Okay. But if you respond, listen to me, and you guys learn this right now. If you respond with humility and repentance, sometimes even tears, like genuine tears, not fake crocodile tears, but, but genuine tears that you are sorry for your sin, doesn't their anger just kind of melt away a lot? A, a lot of their anger? If, you guys, if you've never responded like that, then maybe you need to respond like that. You need, you need to learn what true repentance looks like. But when, when someone's really angry at you, and they start scolding you or punishing you, and your response is one of repentance, that takes a lot of the edge of the anger away. Right? And so that's the tone that we see a lot of Paul having in this letter, uh, the second Corinthians, uh, the second letter to the Corinthians that we have, is it's a lot more sympathetic. It's a lot more gentle because they've had time to respond. And what we're going to read tonight, it seems like Paul really likes the way that they've responded. And so he's, he's pleased with them. Now, he thinks there's still things to work on. So we'll go back. He'll, he'll switch back sometimes to a, a kind of tone that, that is, you know, you need to get this in shape. But for a lot of the tone of the book is he is so pleased with their response, it gives him hope that they're saved. It gives him hope that they are part of the body. It gives him hope that they really do know Jesus and have life. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read a lot of 2 Corinthians, not the whole thing, although I did think about it. Uh, we're just going to read uh, a lot of it, and we're going to highlight some passages that focus on this shift in tone because I'll tell you guys that tone is important. How you say something matters. Right? Do you guys know that? How you say something matters. If you, if you tell someone that you're sorry, it matters how you say it. Like, you know, for me, it was with my siblings. You know, if I, you know, hit my brother or my sister when I was a little kid, and my mom would be like, oh, go apologize. And I'd be like, sorry. Is that a genuine apology? And is my mom going to be pleased with that? No. I said sorry. What else do you want from me? Right? Is that, is that going to please? No. Tone matters. Tone reflects the heart. All right? But if I, if I really genuinely say I, I'm sorry and, and I demonstrate that, which as a kid I probably never did, to be honest. I probably was never sorry for a very long time for anything because uh, I was a punk. Uh, but, but thankfully, Christ redeemed me, all right? And true repentance came. And a lot of you need to experience that. A lot of you need to, need to experience true repentance. And you'll see that God's tone towards you will change. Because you need to understand that God's tone towards us from birth, God, uh, God's word says that by nature we are children of wrath from the time that we were born. And his tone, his heart towards us is one that is aggressive. It's angry. But when we repent, God is gracious. That's, that's the good news, right? And so that's what we have in 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians is Paul's tone of he's giving them church discipline. And we talked about church discipline. 
and, 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 and all the things that go on. And, and specifically, he tells them to engage in church discipline. And then it seems like they respond, and that makes him happy. And we, when we talked about church discipline, we said the, may, the main purpose of church discipline is reconciliation. And if you remember, one of the main themes in 1 Corinthians is unity. If you guys don't know what the word reconciliation means, it's when, when you fight with someone. Reconciliation is you guys uh, coming to peace with each other, being friends again, right? And all relationships have sin and are broken at different points in times in our life. It doesn't matter how much you love that person, you, you, you're going to have a spat with them, you're going to have a fight with them, and you need reconciliation. And so uh, they've sinned, and so as Paul, Paul is calling that out, and so they're at odds with him because they've sinned, they've turned away from from God in these certain ways, and God's, uh, God's calling them out through Paul, but it seems like they've responded, so they're getting to this point of reconciliation. So you're going to see Paul use this word comfort a lot and reconciliation a lot in 2 Corinthians. All right, so uh, go to chapter 1, and we're going to read. Uh, I'm going to have all this up on the board, so if you can't follow along, if you get lost, I'll call them out, but if you can't follow along, it'll be up on the screen. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7 right here. And I'm, I've underlined specific verses that highlight this tone that Paul has now for the Corinthians. So starting out, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So there's that word again. Just I want you guys to notice how many times he's going to say the word comfort in this book. Who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. They use the word comfort a lot just in that uh, sentence. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. All right, so Paul says right there, right in the opening, that his hope for them is unshaken. This is really important in someone that you've just scolded very severely, to tell them, hey, and hopefully your parents use this kind of discipline, they scold you and then they reaffirm that they still love you. All right? That's a very important part if you're, if you're ever angry at someone. It's really important for you to tell them what you think they've done wrong, but to reassure them that your love is not dependent on their actions if you want it to be a godly love. All right? So Paul is saying, our hope for you is unshaken. We, we have hope in you through Christ. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you also will share in our comfort for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will, and he will deliver us. On Him we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. All right, so what he's doing here, and, and you may have experienced this as well, if you're a kind of person who gets scolded a lot, 
you may drive your parent to the point of exasperation and they start trying to reason with you a little bit more and they say, I want you to think, I want you to understand my heart. I want you to understand what I'm going through right now in life. And so Paul is telling them, hey, just so you guys know, we, we've been experiencing such hardship that we, we wished to die. That's, that's how hard it's, it's going for us right now. And if you want to read about what he's experiencing, you can read Acts, uh, later in Acts, I think it's uh, 19 and 20, um, some persecution that was going on then. Uh, uh, verse 12, he says, For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. All right, so he's starting to defend himself a little bit uh, in the way that he's spoken to them. All right, because a lot of times people are like this too. When, when they get scolded, they get more upset. They're like, How, you know, I shouldn't be scolded right now. Right? That's not a good response to being scolded, but sometimes that is a response that we have. It makes us upset for people to call out our sin. And so Paul's kind of defending himself. He's saying, hey, when we're calling you out and rebuking you, just so you know, uh, we're behaving in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and especially so towards you. We're, we are talking, uh, we're speaking the words of God to you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus you will boast of us as we will boast of you. So what he's saying right there, this is where I say that he, they, they're starting to respond, but they still have something. So Paul says that they have partially understood him. He means that you've changed something. You're making progress, Right? And that's important to hear, too, from someone that's, that's been scolding you is to say, hey, you know, ever since that talk we had, I've seen you grow in, in this way, right? There's still some things you need to grow in, but I'm, I'm happy for the progress that, you've, that you have been experiencing, all right? So much so that Paul says, uh, on the day of the Lord, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. So, so Paul is saying, when it all is said and done, I'm going to be proud of you when I talk to the Lord about you. So that, that's very encouraging. Very encouraging to hear that. Very, very reassuring of that love that Paul has for them. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you may have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? So what Paul is saying is, when he wrote that last letter, if you guys remember this, he told them, hey, I'm on my way there. I'm going to come from Macedonia. Now what it seems like is that he didn't actually come immediately like he said he was going to. And you can read, Acts, read in Acts about that, but the plans changed a little bit. All right, And he's going to explain why he didn't come immediately to them. But he's saying why he wanted to come is he wanted them to have a second experience of grace. He wanted to, to talk to them in person and not just scold them from afar, right? Um, but down in verse 23, he says why he didn't actually come when he said he was going to, because it seems like they were complaining about, you know, saying that he 
doesn't, didn't keep his word. So here's what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lorded over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. For I made up my mind not to make another painful visit to you. For if I cause you pain, who is there to make me glad but the one whom I have pained? And I wrote as I did so that when I came, I might not suffer pain from those who should have made me rejoice. For I felt sure of all of you that my joy would be the joy of you all. For I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish of heart and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know the abundant love that I have for you. All right, so again, the tone here, Paul is letting them into his heart while he was scolding them, while he was writing this painful letter that broke their hearts and hopefully brought them to tears, while he's writing this letter that they would maybe think is rough and aggressive and rude. He's saying, I'm, I'm writing not to cause you pain, uh, but, but, but for your benefit. And when I'm writing, he says here, for I wrote to you out of much affliction and anguish and with many tears, not to cause you pain, but to let you know how much I love you. And here's something that you guys have to understand. Again, we talked about this in 1 Corinthians. The person who tells you the most truth, that's the person that loves you. Right? The person that lies to you and tries to make you feel good about yourself when you shouldn't, that person does not care about you. They care about how uh, your perception of them makes them feel. They care about themselves. They care about feeling like people think they're encouraging. That person does not care about you. And Paul, he's saying, what do the Corinthians need to hear? What is good for them? And that's what I'm going to tell them. And even though it pains me to say these words that I know are going to break their hearts, that I know are going to make them feel bad, that, are going to, that I know is going to make them feel ashamed, I know that that's what they need to hear for their good. And so that's what I'm going to say for their good because I love them. Right? So that Paul lets us in. So he's telling them that. Hey, you think I like hurting your feelings? That's kind of like the tone of what Paul is saying. Do you think I like hurting your feelings? I don't. Do you think I like scolding you? I don't. But I have to. I have to. I, I, I have to tell you what you need to hear. All right? Uh, moving on. Uh, this is something, even on, on the reconciliation part, when we, when we studied uh, 1 Corinthians and we did a section on church discipline, we talked about this young man who was uh, in a sexually immoral relationship with his father's wife. And Paul tells them to enact church discipline on him. He says, hey, you guys need to cast him out and that the devil may destroy his flesh so that his soul may be saved. And we talked about how church discipline, the whole purpose is for him to repent. So as we're reading this part in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, I want you guys to understand, I, I think very clearly this is Paul hearing that this young man did repent. And it's important for us to understand that that, again, is the, pole of the, the point of church discipline, is to welcome the brother back or the sister back who has sinned and received the discipline. It's not to hold grudges. 
It's not for us to feel high and mighty like, oh, you know, we're better than this person. We've never experienced church discipline. Oh, you know, we're going to let it back into the church, but we're going to kind of look down at him, tell our, you know, tell our friends not to associate with him. No, he's, he's to be welcomed back in, into the body. All right, and that's one of the key, the key themes here in this book is reconciliation. So here's what he says. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So that church discipline, that's what I think he's saying, that you guys kicked him out of your church. He's saying, all right, it's enough. He's repented. So he says, so you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Paul is begging them, please. He told them, kick him out of your church. And now he's saying, please let him back in. Let him know that you love him. This is the picture of reconciliation. There is no sin that cannot be covered by the blood of Christ. All right, we can forgive any brother or sister who sins against us. All right, for this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. And so he's saying that he even told them to kick him out to see whether they actually wanted to be obedient to the gospel, be obedient to, to Christ. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ so that we would not be outwitted by Satan. For we are not ignorant of his design. So be aware, the devil wants us to have division in our church. He wants there to be bickering and fighting over stuff that is stupid. And there's, there have been millions of stupid fights in churches over things like carpet color. Like That's the famous argument. Famous, famous example, but it actually is a real big one that many churches have split over. When they get new carpet, what is the color going to be? And then they fight about it until they hate each other so much that they can't be in the same church building. Doesn't that sound crazy? Does that sound silly to you guys? It should sound silly, because it is. It's silly. And Satan wants that kind of bickering. It's so easy to bicker. It's so easy to whine. It's so easy to complain. It's so easy to find fault with others. It's much more difficult, but much more loving to forgive. Even, and, and Paul's not saying this person did not wrong you. He's saying forgive them. That's implying that they did wrong, wrong you. So uh, we have this ministry of reconciliation, uh, and that is one of our main ways of of fighting against Satan and his design. So down to chapter 6, down to chapter 6, we're going to keep going through. He says this, Working together with him, then, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, In a favorable time I listened to you, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. So we're, we're skipping over a lot, but I'm, we're just talking about the tone again, remember? talking about this reconciliation as a, as a huge theme and the tone that Paul has. He says, Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. We put no obstacle in anyone's way 
so that no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet well known, as dying and behold we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful yet always rejoicing, as poor yet making many rich, as having nothing yet possessing everything. We have spoken freely to you. Corinthians, our heart is wide open. You are not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your own affections. In return, I speak as to children, widen your hearts also. That's another huge hint for us as to the tone. All right? he is, he's kind of speaking as a parent to children. He's saying, hey, here's all the hard things that I'm going through for your sake. Here's everything that I'm doing. And sometimes you guys need to hear that from your parents because you don't appreciate them. You need to hear how much they work, how much they sacrifice, how much they put aside so that you can have some little trifle of a thing that you, that you really care about because they love you. And Paul is saying, here's all of the difficulties that we're going through. We just want you to know so that you understand that we're doing all of this for you. And we love you. Our hearts, you have everything that we, that we can give you. We're giving it all. If, anything, if anyone is restricted, it's you and the fact that you don't love us. And so he's saying, hey, we, we love you, Corinthians. If you want us to have a good relationship, widen your hearts. Love us in return. Appreciate the work that we're doing and, and, and we can have this good relationship going forward because Paul is saying, I've got no bitterness against you for all the, the sin that you're in and all the sin that you've been doing and all the back talk that you've been giving. We are not restricted in our, in our affections of you. So please, he's saying, as to children, love us back. Appreciate us. He says, make room in your hearts for us. This is chapter 7. Uh, make room in your hearts for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and live together. I am acting with great boldness towards you. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I am overflowing with joy. I hope you guys are starting to see the big tone change from 1 Corinthians to 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, it was all business. Right? And Paul is letting them know his heart, saying things like, you are in our hearts to die together and live together. That means something. Right? Paul's not just saying fluffy words to make people feel better. Paul doesn't do that. He tells the truth. Right? He says, I have great pride in you, which is honestly amazing that he could say, considering the sin that, that they've been living in. But he, he loves them. He has great 
pride in them. He's filled with comfort and hope in their repentance and reconciliation. He says, I am overflowing with joy. He's thinking about these people who are wronging him and speaking badly about him, and he's happy because he trusts Christ to bring them to repentance. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. So Titus came as a messenger from the Corinthians after that letter that Paul gave them. He sent Titus there and Titus heard something and brought news back from Corinth that made Paul extremely happy. Here's, here's what the news was. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced still more. For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through, this, through us. So Paul is, is taking them back to when he heard the news that they had gotten his letter and they wept. He's hearing the news of the time that he sent a letter to them that was a huge rebuke that it pained him to write and that he knew would cause them grief and make them sad. And he's hearing that when they read the letter, they wept, that they repented, that they wanted Paul's forgiveness and that they sent Titus back to Paul pleading for forgiveness. And Paul is saying, that's, that's the comfort that I have received from you. I'm, I'm overflowing with joy when I think about your repentance. Because again, that is the goal of a rebuke. That is the goal of the gospel, is we're trying to get people to repent. Because when we go out into the world and you see all of the unbelievers, this is their state. They are in a state of unrepentance and destined for God's wrath. And if you can preach the gospel to someone in that state and they repent and you find no joy in it, then I'm worried for your soul. Because all the angels in heaven rejoice when a sinner comes to salvation. And so Paul is, set, Paul is worried for them. He's worried of their salvation because they're living in such sin that he's like, I don't, you know, he's, he's on the verge of telling them that he's not sure they're Christians. He's telling them that they need salvation again. Not that they need it to get a second time, but that he's, he's reminding them of, of the need for salvation because they're living in sin. And so he sends them that word and he's encouraged because they repent immediately. And that's, that's what we see in believers. Believers have no problem repenting. If you have a very hard problem repenting, if, if you cannot apologize when you are in the wrong, that's not good. That's not the heart of a Christian. Now, it is, it is hard. I, I mean, it's, it's always hard, but, but the Holy Spirit will always convict you. You will not be able to sit in that state of rebellious unrepentance for very long if you're a Christian. You will be convicted. And so Paul's rebuking them harshly kind of as a test 
to them to see how they will respond. And he's, that's what he says. He wanted to test them to see how they would respond. And he's so pleased with their response because they responded like Christians. And so he's reaffirmed in his hope for them that his work towards them has not been in vain. Because you guys may not remember this, but Paul spent a year and a half in Corinthians preaching the gospel to these people and, and, and working with them and sharing the gospel with them. That's a long time to spend with one group of people starting a church, seeing them come to salvation, trying to disciple them, praying over them, and then to, see, and then to leave for a little bit, to go preach the gospel elsewhere, and to see them just fall apart. That, that had to be torture for Paul. And so he writes them this letter, and when he gets their response, of course he's comforted. Of course he is comforted by their repentance because he sees that his work has not been in vain. On to verse 10. For godly grief, he's explaining to them that they felt a grief that was godly, that they were grieved into repenting. And he's explaining here, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. You guys, the world does not have a shortage of experiencing worldly grief. We don't just want people to feel worldly grief. If you guys do some research, you can see that the suicide rates in I would say all across the world are just skyrocketing. They're, they're, they're way up there. The world knows that it has no hope. We're not going out and, and telling people to repent just to make them feel bad. We're not pointing out their sins just to make them feel bad. We're pointing out their sins and giving them the hope of the gospel with it. Because the point, again, of our preaching the gospel is not to show, hey, we're better than everyone else, because we're not. It's to bring the ministry of reconciliation. If you preach the gospel and your, and your goal is just to say, you guys are going to hell, you've missed the point of the gospel. You need to give them the hope of the gospel. You need to give them the command. Repent and believe. Be saved. And that, and that, that was Paul, Paul's message to them. And that's why he is pleased because they felt a godly grief that led to repentance. Because the worldly grief, it literally does produce death that leads to suicide. And I'll tell you guys, you know, personally, if I had not been saved by God's grace, I probably would have committed suicide. Because I felt godly grief. I knew that I was a despicable person. I knew that in my heart. And deep down, every human does. That's why they don't like to hear this message. They know that they are scum. They know they're evil. The world knows. You know. You know your sin, don't you? You know you're worse than anyone else that you know. You know your own thoughts. And if that's all that you have is the fact that you, you sin, then you have no hope, then yeah, you're going to be miserable. But we have the ministry of reconciliation. We have hope. You do not need to commit suicide. You can repent and believe in the gospel and be saved from your sin and be saved from that terrible, awful feeling because one day, you can, you can put your hope in this, that one day Christ will take away your sin. 
all of those despicable parts that you hate, God will take away through the blood of Christ. For see what eagerness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So although I wrote to you, it was not for the sake of the one who did the wrong, not for the sake of one who suffered the wrong, but in order that your earnestness for us might be revealed to you in the sight of God. Therefore, we are comforted. So he's saying too, I didn't want to just see your repentance. I wanted you to see your own repentance. Because we need encouragement in our own faith. We need to see that we are growing. We, 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 we're living a long life. Even, even though it is you know, short, life feels long. It feels like it's never going to end sometimes. And, and life is hard. And we need that encouragement. We need to know, am I walking in the faith? Do I have hope? Is the, is the race that I am running, am I running it in vain? And so Paul wants them to see their own repentance. He wants them to see their own desire, their own zeal for the Lord, because that will give them even more. It will encourage them further in their walk. All right, down to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. This is what Paul says at the beginning of the passage, um, where Paul goes on kind of a rant where he's boasting about all the stuff that he has uh, gone through in the gospel. And we're not going to talk about that right now. There's just a passage here at the beginning and a passage at the, at the end that tells us why he's doing it. And Because, again, we're talking about the tone of Paul, Paul's message here. And so, here's what he says. I wish you would bear with me in a little foolishness. Do bear with me, for I feel a divine jealousy for you. This, this goes back to what I was saying with all the time that Paul had spent building up this church and discipling them and preaching the gospel. He feels a divine jealousy for them. That word jealousy is, is used a, a lot in Scripture, specifically of husbands and wives. And, and Paul makes that connection clear because he says, Since I betrothed you to one husband to present you a, fur, a, a pure virgin to Christ. So he's saying, hey, I did the work to to preach the gospel to you so that you would be married to Christ. And he says, I feel this huge passion and weight to make sure that when you do have him on your wedding day, that you're pure. That you're not stained by sin. I want, I set up this marriage, basically is kind of what he's saying, and I want you to enjoy the day of the Lord when it comes. To, to, to when you see Christ, to not be ashamed at His coming, but to be glad at His coming because He's going to take off all of your shame. All right, and then at the end of the boast, here's what he says. This is down in chapter 12, starting in verse 14. He says, Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden, for I seek not what is yours, but you. That's, that's important because he is actually coming to collect some money for some ministry, but he's saying, I don't care about the money. I care about you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. And that's right, right? Do you, guys, do you guys pay the rent? Anyone paying rent yet? No, your parents pay it for you, right? And so Paul is saying to them, hey, I'm not expecting you to provide for me. 
This is again the tone that we have of a parent to a child. The Corinthians are his children. He's saying, children are not obligated to save up for their parents. I'm not dependent on you, right? I'm working for you. That's what he's saying. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. Did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent you? I urged Titus to go and sent the brother with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? So he's saying, while I'm boasting, do you think I'm trying to prove myself to you? So here's what he says about his boasting. It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all, not for his boasting, for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish and that you may find me not as you wish. That perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that I have practiced. So he's saying, I'm boasting because I want you guys to understand that I'm coming, that I, that I came in the work of the Lord, because I'm scared that when I come, I'm going to have to punish you. And I don't want to. I don't want to punish you. I don't want to scold you. I want to come and have good fellowship with you. That's what Paul wants. He's saying to them, please stop sinning. Please. So that when I come, we can rejoice in the Lord together, encourage one another together. But I'm scared right now. Because of all this past that, you, that I've heard about, I'm scared that that's not what I'm going to find. And therefore, I can't be, I can't be to you kind. In, in, in this relationship way where we're just enjoying one another. I have to be stern. I'm scared that when I get, when I get there, I have to be stern. All right? and, and I want you guys to understand this. Parents, because I'm sure you guys are disciplined by your parents, parents do not like punishing you. It's really tiring to punish people. It's exhausting. It's annoying. It takes a long time. It, it makes you feel mean. It's not fun. And so Paul is saying to them, hey, I don't enjoy reprimanding you. I, I, would, ra I would much rather just have the good relationship, but I'm scared that when I come, I'm not, I'm not going to get that, that I'm going to have to go into you know, parent mode and, and scold you. So here's how, he, here's how he ends it. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. This is chapter 13, verses 5. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? So he's saying, hey, while, while you're waiting for me to come, make sure that you're a Christian. This is important for us to hear. Don't just walk down some aisle or get baptized or pray a prayer and think for all time that, that don't let that confidence just rest with you. You need to take your temperature sometimes and see if you have the growth. Examine yourselves to see whether or not you're in the faith. 
And that's going to take time. It's going to take years because you don't see growth over weeks. It's more like months and years and decades. Paul's saying, examine yourselves. Look at your actions. See if you really are Christians. Because he says, I hope that you will find out that we have not failed the test, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. For we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we pray for. For this reason, I write these things while I am away from you. So he's even telling us right now why the whole letter was written. That when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for tearing down. He's he's saying right there, there's the whole reason. So that should tell us the tone. Are you guys feeling the tone right now? It's a very impassioned plea that they would be reconciled to God. It's a very impassioned plea for him saying, I I want to have this reconciliation with you. I'm so pleased at the reconciliation that we've had, and and I want more. I want to be on the same page with you guys, that when I come, I may not have to be severe in my use of the authority that the Lord has given me for building up and not for, for tearing down. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. So all that right there, he's saying, again, the same theme of 1 Corinthians so much was unity. 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 And, and he's building on that theme. It's unity through reconciliation. All the saints greet you. He's telling them, hey, you're part of something bigger than just Corinth. The grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. He's saying, I want you guys to have real relations. I want you guys to enjoy coming to church and hanging out with each other. I want to enjoy coming to hang out with you. He wants this unity, unity through the reconciliation that only Christ provides. This reconciliation only comes through Christ and only through repentance. All right, I'm going to pray. Father, thank you for this evening. Thank you for your word. I pray that we would hear your voice through Paul's appeal to the Corinthians, that we would not be puffed up, that we would not be arrogant, that we would not be proud and boastful, but that we would hear the call to repent and believe and to have reconciliation, not just with you, but with with the church, with the rest of the body, with the bride, and that we can enjoy that relationship while we're waiting for the day when you come. So that when you come, you won't find us bickering and fighting amongst each other, but you'll find us at peace and ready for your coming with great expectation and longing and joy. Uh, please come soon, Lord. We love you. Ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.